Welcome into the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host and owner, Justin Jackson. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTime Sports. That is on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports. And turn on your post notifications to make sure you are as informed as your sports rivals. Why they know things the hair bit in front of you is because they got their post notifications on and you do not. So make sure you follow that. Now, in today's show, we'll be going through the NBA. The playoffs are here. We'll be talking about the NFL, what's going down in the offseason. Rather interesting offseason in the NFL. We will touch on the WNBA as they have some developments going on following their draft and a little offseason news. And then we have the best for last, the Justin Time Sports mock draft, NFL mock draft 1.0. Um, and so we will definitely be discussing that. Um, but as always, again, if you're a returning person, you know what I'm about to say. But if you're new here, sit back and get ready to learn something. through and i give this beautiful intro to you guys and i do welcome you guys into the show um as always this is your owner and host justin jackson i welcome you guys in um as you can tell i have a lot of energy as i'm recording this i'm excited about this episode uh, because the nba playoffs are here um as far as postseasons it's right up there with the nfl now it doesn't have the every game drama of the nfl because the nfl is one and done um you can see that seven c beat that two seed um it's a lot more likely because, again, that 7 seed has to have really a hell of a half. You know, they go in, put up 28 points in the first half, and they're up 28-3 going into halftime. More than likely, that team's going to hold on and win the game. Um, they don't have to turn around and beat that team again and again and again like the NBA. But the NBA definitely, to me, has one of the top two postseasons. I think it's right. I think it's NFL, and then it's the NBA. College basketball depends on the stars and really the first round. The first couple of rounds of madness then after that, like the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight are kind of boring, and the Final Four is exciting. Um, the hockey playoffs are interesting too, but if you guys be a hockey fan, that's a series style too. Baseball postseason has its moments, but really it's all built up for the World Series. So really as far as every round excitement, uh, the NFL and the NBA definitely to me have the best postseasons um, going in sports. I mean, okay, technically the Olympics would have a post-qualifier. That gets intriguing when it gets to knockout rounds and stuff, but that's not really a postseason. But anyway, the postseason is here. The NBA playoffs are here. Um, Thursday night, we'll have the last of the play-in games. Um, actually, no, there's no play I mean, sorry, Thursday is the off day. My apologies. Thursday is the NBA off day. Very weird scheduling situation the NBA did here. They decided to have an off day on a Thursday and then play the last playing game, the, basically the second chance qualifier playing games on Friday and then start the playoffs on Saturday, four games, and then the playoffs on Sunday, four games, and then, you know, two, 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 whatever, however they do it the rest of the national TV schedule. Um, very weird scheduling quirk. It actually, to me, disadvantages the one seed even more. Um, so before we can go through the matchups, to me, that disadvantages the one seed even more. The, eight, the number one seed 
on both sides. So that's the Milwaukee Bucks in the East and the Denver Nuggets in the West. They are the only two teams not to know who they're playing in the first round. As the one seed, they're the most disadvantaged. And I spoke about this long before they got to this point. I'm like, man, the one seed's at a bad spot. I didn't know how bad it was. I thought they might have had three or four days to prepare. The Western Conference second chance playing game, again, for lack of better terms, between the Minnesota Timberwolves and Oklahoma City Thunder play Friday night. Denver is scheduled to play um, Sunday against, I mean, they should have the nightcap because they're Denver. Well, actually, Sacramento and Golden State is even further west than Denver is. But regardless, I think that schedule is the nightcap for Sunday night. They have 48 hours to prepare for their opponent. The Boston Celtics are going to have even less time because they're on the East Coast. They may end up playing Sunday, you know, 3 o'clock. Well, their opponent finishes going to get off the court, local time Boston, Friday night at 10 p.m. So, or 9 p.m., I should say. Maybe 8 p.m. because they have the first game. So, 8 p.m. Sunday night, Boston. They're, they're on the court versus that team 36 hours later, you know, or 40 hours later. Like, the one seed, Milwaukee, my apologies. The one seed is in a massive disadvantage. Um,. As opposed to the two seed, like the two seed found out who they were playing um, Wednesday. They found out who they were playing Wednesday night. They got Thursday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to prepare. It's three full days. If you were a three seed or a four seed, you knew who you were playing pretty much locked in Sunday. You had a full week uh, to prepare for your opponent. So this game needs to figure out the structure. I don't like the off day here. I don't get it. If anything, I'd rather have the off day on Friday night. I'd rather have those teams uh, play. Well, I get why the West teams are playing, but why does the East team have a night off tonight? They have two nights off. If anything, to me, the East team should be playing tonight. The East team should be playing tonight. The West team, or East team should be playing Thursday night. The West team should be playing Friday night. East number one seed plays Saturday. West number one seed plays uh, Sunday. At least then it's kind of balanced. Um, or... Say, screw it. You put yourself in this position, play a back-to-back. Have the second chance East team and the second chance West game play tonight. Have the off day for everybody Friday. Start the playoffs on Saturday. You put yourself in a play-in tournament. You know, and if you're a 9-10 seed and you won, you should have been a 9-10 seed because three years ago, you wouldn't even been in the playoffs. And if you're eight, so you're a 7-8 seed and lost, you shouldn't have lost the game. So play a back-to-back. Have that off day. I'd rather have the off day in between. I'd rather have that gap a day, like that all completely free off day in between the play-in tournament and the playoffs as opposed to mid-play-in tournament. Um, so to me, it's another scheduling NBA quirk that they kind of need to fix and to get rid of in order to me, in order to give the one seed the advantage of being the one seed because at the moment, you don't know who you're playing. You get the same home court advantage as everybody else. It's not like you get five games at home in a series or six games at home in a series. Like You get the same home court advantage as everybody else. You don't know who you're playing. You're basically preparing for two teams for days. And you have the uncertainty of that team is red hot coming in because at this point, I think that both 10 seeds are going to win the game. So that means that team's red hot coming in, all the confidence in the world, and you didn't even get a chance to prepare for them properly. Um... And so I think the NBA needs to figure that out. Have the playing tournament earlier? I don't know. Have a bigger gap? Something. Because the one seed's at the massive disadvantage. 
um, because they don't know who they're playing until the last possible moment. But anyway, off my soapbox about the NBA's playing tournament and how it's unfair to the one seeds, um, let's dive into these series. So we're going to start off with the East. Again, we're going to go to the Bucks. The Bucks have no idea who they're playing. They're either playing the Miami Heat or the Chicago Bulls. To me, it doesn't matter the Bucks sweep. Now, the Bucks don't have Chris Middleton, but I'm looking at these teams, and I don't and I, and I don't know what the records are for the Bucks against these teams in the regular season. Personally, I don't care. The reason being is we don't know what injury status was like. We don't know who rested. We don't know what the game plan was um, for Miami or Chicago. And to me, when you get into the playoffs, these are different. Now, the NBA... Um, Really, the NFL is only team like this. NFL is only league like this, um, and college basketball, of course. But due to the violence and the nature of the games, the NFL is the only league that you don't play everybody at least once. Um, even the WNBA now has kind of figured their schedule out. We play everybody at least twice. Um, you know, obviously baseball, you'll play the team at least two series, so you'll play them at least six games. You'll see the whole rotation. Uh, you'll play them at least six games. Hockey, I think it's uh, it's like a seventy-something game schedule. So you're gonna play, you know, you're gonna play them more than one time at least. Um, NBA minimum twice, max of four. Uh, the NFL, you may, you know, what I'm saying, thanks to the division being eight games, you're not gonna play half the league. Um, so at least in the NBA, there's some basis on what you're gonna go off of, um, based on what you're gonna go off of in terms of game prep and preparation um and so to me it doesn't matter though now the bucks don't have chris middleton yet but they're they have the easily the best player in the series they have to me the best player in the league um and Giannis Antetokounmpo um and they have a defensive player of the year candidate strong probably finishes second behind Jaron Jackson and Brooke Lopez um, you still have Drew Holiday, who's going to give whoever the, the main guard on the team is. So if it's Jimmy, so if it's probably he'll, if it's the Heat, I can see Drew Holiday. He's too small for Jimmy Butler. He could probably bother Jimmy Butler, but he feels a little too small for Jimmy Butler. Um, but he may end up being on Jimmy Butler anyway, or Tyler Hero, one of the two. And then if it's Chicago, I think he goes to Levine. Um, but you know, you have Drew Holiday causing havoc on the defensive end. Um, and you've got the rest of that Bucks team who's ready to play and ready to go. Like I said, I think the Bucks sweep regardless of who it is, Miami or Chicago. Moving on to Boston uh, versus the Hawks. Now, moving on to the series, we know uh, the Hawks beat the Miami Heat in the 7-8 game. Miami became the first ever 7 seed to lose a playing tournament game. Entering the playing tournament games, the 7 seeds had never lost. The 10 seeds had never won. One 7 seed lost, one 10 seed won. Um, and so that, or two, both 10 seeds won and one seven seed lost. Um, so, you know, all kind of play in history is being tossed into the air, which by the way, the plan should be kind of postseason stats. There's no reason why they shouldn't. It's after the, it's after the 82. It's not in the 82. It should be a postseason stat. Um, instead these stats disappear into the ether. So like Lou Dort had a hell of a game against the Pelicans. His stats disappeared into the ether. They don't exist. Um, as far as the NBA is concerned, which something we'll address of course later anyway boston plays the hawks now this is a series i'm going i was going to say sweep at first um in favor of boston they swept out a much better nets team at the start of their postseason run last year um but i'm i'm gonna give trey young the respect that he gets a game 
that he made, you know, Tatum and Brown has those games every so often where they're just bad. They're just bad shooting. They can't get their flow right. Their offense is off. Jalen Brown's openly discussing his money, um, which is never truly a good sign on a team. He's openly discussing his contract extension or his next deal. Um, and then Trey Young, I just think he's going to have one of those games where he gets 35 and 13. Now, Boston's a team that can bother Trey because Trey's on the smaller side. They can throw Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown at him, just to name three quickly. Grant Williams is quick enough to move his feet. Um, just to name four guys quickly. Al Horford's not bad at switching. Um, you know, that's a very long, rangy, athletic, defensive team. And I think that um, it could definitely bother Trey Young. Now, the Hawks have DeJounte Murray now. So that used to be an issue before um, because the Hawks had nobody to dribble or initiate the offense or to handle the ball, really, besides Trey. But now with DeJounte Murray, if Trey Young's getting doubled and trapped and all that stuff, DeJounte has to be able to take advantage of that, either by being a playmaker or an attacking scorer. And therefore, he should alleviate the pressure from Trey Young a little bit. But like I said, I think Trey and DeJounte, when you got those two dogs um, at guard, they'll just get you a game. They'll combine for 60 and 15 assists and just flat out get you a game. Maybe that game three turn um, going into Atlanta down 2-0 and then you get that game three turn uh, game where it just they feed on the crowd and big shots are raining in from a Sadiq Bay um, and you just end up getting the, getting that win and making a five-game series instead of the sweep. I, I really think it should be, but I, just, I have too much respect for DeJounte and Trey Young and what they can do. Also, knowing how Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown would have games where they leave their offense on the bus. Um, and so, I'm going to go Boston to win the series 4-1 over the Atlanta Hawks. And that brings us to the last playoff series in the East that was pre-decided uh, before the playing tournament. And that's the Philadelphia 76ers against the Brooklyn Nets. Um, first of all, I just want to start off with congratulating the Brooklyn Nets on a hell of a season. Um, Josiah, Sean Marks, Jack Vaughn even. Um, Orange Josiah, GM Sean Marks, head coach Jack Vaughn. Um, navigated something that really you shouldn't have to navigate um, at the professional level. It's becoming more and more of a thing. Um, they dealt with their stars wanting out midseason. Um, kind of over nothing. In a way, like I like I get Kevin Durant being like, "All right, I'm done," but like Kyrie basically came out to a contractual dispute. I'm sure he's getting told by LeBron or others, "Hey, man, you come to LA, we'll take care of you in the offseason." Because at the time, the Lakers were looking to add a third guy. They didn't know what the trade market was like for Russell Westbrook, but they kind of figured they could put together some kind of deal to offload both of those at 2027 and 2029 first round picks and end up with Kyrie making a big three of Kyrie, LeBron, Anthony Davis, which is Kyrie, LeBron, Kevin Love, except Anthony Davis is considerably better than Kevin Love ever was. Um, now, Kevin Love was a dog, but I mean, his Minnesota days were insane, but Anthony Davis is a top 75 all-time NBA player. Kevin Love may be a top 20 power forward ever. Eh, top 10 power forward ever. Kevin Love might end up being a top 10 power forward ever when it's all said and done. That's not the point. It's not a Kevin Love conversation. Um, so the Nets dealt with a lot. Kyrie's drama, 
Kevin's injury, the first one, and then Kyrie's asking out, and then you trade Kevin, and then Ben Simmons back goes again. And so you, you're into the season with a big three, and by the trade deadline, two of them, one's playing for the Phoenix Suns, one's playing for the Dallas Mavericks, and one's back is flaring up again. So you don't have any of them. And then you kind of, all of a sudden, you discover Mikael Bridges can be probably the number two on a championship team. I mean, Mikael Bridges is balling. He's not a number one on the title team. No, 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 no. But he could be a number two and a damn sure number three on a championship team. He's absolutely balling. And you hold on to the six seed. Despite Miami, despite Atlanta, those teams really challenging. You hold on to the six seed. Now, your reward is Joel Embiid in the first round. So, not really... Oh, not really a reward, but you're in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you you have hope. And this is actually a pretty decent team. This is actually a pretty solid team. Like, it's not a situation where, oh, man, this team's going to struggle next year. Like, and they got cap space. You have a certified bucket in Cam Thomas. You have Mikhail Bridges, who is a scoring machine, apparently. Cam Johnson's a great two-way player. Um... Spencer Dinwiddie can play. Nick Claxton's good at rim defending. Like, this team was actually pretty decently put together. Um, and I say all that to say they're going to get swept in the first round. No one on that team can guard Joel Embiid. If you can't go, if you can't slow down Joel Embiid or have somebody on the other side that can match his, match his productiveness and match his energy, match his flair, match his swag, you're going to go down quickly. Update Brooklyn. You have none of that. Nick Claxton is as glowingly as I spoke about him. Looks like he weighs about a buck sixty. Joel Embiid is going to ragdoll him for four games. Shoot over the top of his head, move him out the way and dunk on him, rebound over him, block some shots. Harden's gonna play pretty well. I expect Harden to have some good games in Brooklyn. Kind of as a show-off moment because Harden got out of Brooklyn first. Kind of seen the train coming off the tracks before the train actually left the tracks. He got out of Brooklyn first. Um, now, did Harden's departure ultimately push the train off the tracks? It felt like a That's So Raven moment. You know, if you ever seen That's So Raven, she sees the future, then she tries to stop it, and ends up creating. So it ended up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think James Harden saw the train coming off the tracks, asked out, ended up getting Ben Simmons into Brooklyn, and ended up kind of pushing the train off the tracks. Um, but I think Harden's going to have some big games in Brooklyn. Uh, I think Tyrese Max is going to have a couple good games. Tobias Harris is going to have a couple, maybe have a night in there. But Philly ends this in four. That's not, it, to me, in the playoffs, in order to get a game off somebody, you have to have a star. That's why I gave, that's why I gave Atlanta a game. And I won. I was tempted to give Miami a game. I think Miami's going to beat Chicago. I was tempted to give Miami a game against uh, Milwaukee. But I was like, Giannis doesn't have bad nights. He's had two all season. So it's like you have to outperform Giannis, and there's nobody on Miami team that can do it. So as I said, I can give him a game. I gave Atlanta a game because I've seen Tatum and Brown have bad nights at the same time, and then Trey can go ballistic. Um, there's nobody on Brooklyn team deserving of a game. There just isn't. Um, and so uh, Philly gets Brooklyn out in four, and then to round out the East, we have the Cavs versus the Knicks, also known as the Donovan Mitchell series. Stephen A. Smith has been open about it. The New York Knicks. Cannot lose to Donovan Mitchell. I don't think uh, Leon Rose, who's running basketball operations, um, pretty much is the forefront. 
of that, uh, that whole situation, former CAA agent, actually is the reason probably why Jalen Brunson's a New York Nick, because he kind of swung and missed on Donovan Mitchell, so he made up for it with Jalen Brunson. Julius Randle's out, and I get that. Julius Randle hurt, I understand that. Maybe that's what Nick fans in five months would realize, hey, Julius Randle was out, kind of had no shot. We, would, we, we went in there with that ass best or second best player like it's like the pelicans you know we're gonna talk about them in a a few minutes (laughs) you went in there without your dog so it was kind of like you were in a bad spot but you can't lose the series to donovan mitchell you can lose the series to anybody else if donovan mitchell plays badly and you lose you, you you can live with it you cannot lose to Donovan Mitchell because you played hardball with the Jazz. Thought you were going to lowball the Jazz. Thought that the only person who really had enough tradable assets for Donovan Mitchell, the Knicks, was the Knicks. The Knicks figured the only team that had enough tradable assets to make a Donovan Mitchell trade worth it to Utah was themselves. So the Knicks had like seven tradable first-round picks. Um... At one point, they only got to, like, three tradable, three of the first. They were weirdly protected. And um, only a couple of players. Pretty much lowballing them. Because they figured the only team, they knew they were outbidding everyone else. But they weren't unloading the coffers. It was smart business by the Knicks. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, my God, the Knicks are so dumb. And they should have just gave up the seven picks and traded R.J. Barrett and gave up this, like, no, they shouldn't. Would I have included Obi Toppin in that trade? Absolutely. <laughs> but I wasn't giving up R.J. Barrett. I wasn't giving up Quinn and Grimes. Obviously, I wasn't giving up Julius Randle. I probably wasn't giving up Mitchell Robinson. But like everybody else... Oh, and I wasn't giving up Emmanuel quickly. But like everybody else, and those weirdly protected first-round picks anyway, I would have traded them for Donovan Mitchell. Like, you'd have had Donovan Mitchell, Julius Randle, Emmanuel quickly. Um, you know what I'm saying? You'd have had a decent team. And by trading some of those salaries out, you might have messed around and got enough cash space to go try and get somebody else. But the Knicks knew, like I said, they did semi, they did pretty smart business. We're out, we're in front of everybody else. Like it doesn't matter what, like it doesn't matter what we have. We know we're offering more than anybody else. And then the Cavs made a couple of shrewd, sneaky moves, got the assets, and made the deal with the Jazz. And I think part of Danny Ainge going with the Cavs offer was the fact that the Nick he knew the Knicks were trying to hold out on him. And so the first team able to put together the assets to basically match the Knicks deal or even a little outseed it, he was gonna go with them because as a F you to the Knicks. Like you tried to lowball me. Like I know you're trying to lowball me. And so you didn't get him anyway. The Knicks cannot lose to a good Donovan Mitchell. Now Donovan Mitchell plays AV averages 13 points per game and the Cavs win in seven and Mitchell played horrible, you can say, hey, at least we didn't lose to Mitchell. Right? Like we lost to the Cavs, but Mitchell didn't do much. But if Donovan Mitchell puts up 30 a night, 27 a night, just cooking you all over Madison Square Garden and you lose, that's a disaster. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen. Um, I think that the, the Cavs get them out of there in six, and Mitchell has a huge game six to end the next season in Madison Square Garden. Oh, the horror. 
Again, you don't have Julius Randle. So in four to five months, you'll be like, but we didn't have Randle, like we weren't gonna win that series. But if Mitchell has like a 40 point explosion, because we've seen him in the, it was on the bubble. We've seen him move him and Murray. That's that series is legendary. They're going for like 50 apiece. Like if Mitchell has one of those 45 point explosions in the garden to end the next season on in game six. I think Stephen A may have a brain aneurysm. Like, I, it's going to be an absolute disaster in New York if Donovan Mitchell puts the Knicks out. Because you had him, and you tried to play hardball, and you lost him. That can't happen if you're the New York Knicks. Shifting to the Western Conference, the number one seed disadvantaged Denver Nuggets is awaiting their opponent uh, between the Minnesota Timberwolves and Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, Minnesota lost to the Los Angeles Lakers in probably the ugliest playing game ever. Uh, I'll admit something to y'all. I actually turned it off. It was the third quarter. The Lakers went down 15. The way they were playing, I kind of gave up on it. And then I look up, and the Lakers won it. And it was a situation where it was like, you literally look up and the Lakers won it. You're like, holy crap. You had you had, mo- you had the ugliest fourth quarter I've ever seen in the back. I mean, that was a disaster. D'Angelo Russell played awful all night for the Lakers. Anthony Davis had spurts of, why are you even on the court? Carl Anthony Towns fell on bad habits. He started off super aggressive, super rolling. Then he fell on bad habits with the fouls and pretty much took himself out mentally. Anthony Edwards couldn't throw a brick in the ocean standing in a boat. Like, it was absolute, like, disaster of an offensive game. Like, LeBron and Schroeder were the only real consistent pieces to hit for the Lakers. Uh, Austin Reese had his moments, but it was LeBron and Schroeder. And then you had Schroeder hitting a big three in the corner. Then Anthony Davis fouling, fouling Mike Conley, who was the only Timberwolves to really show up all game. Fouling Mike Conley on a three. Conley makes all three free throws. You go to overtime. Carl Anthony Towns in that overtime literally does nothing. Seriously. For five minutes, Carl Anthony Towns did nothing. Not a point, not a rebound, not an assist, not a block, not a steal, not a shot attempt. Nothing. He didn't even foul anybody because he had five fouls. He literally did nothing for five minutes. He ran around the court. He did as much as uh, I did, as any of us did. Carl Anthony Towns, for five minutes, did literally nothing. Um, LeBron James played 48 minutes in that game. I'm sure he's on full rehab and recovery right now. Um, Played 48 minutes in that game to put Minnesota into the second-chance play-in game. Um, And Minnesota was without Gobert and Jaden McDaniels. And, of course, Nas Reed. Nas Reed has been out. Jaden McDaniels punched the wall and broke his hand. And Rudy Gobert punched Kyle Anderson um, and got suspended for a game. Pretty wild situation. Um, on the bench, I have I have the video post on Justin Time Sports. I will let some of the audio, uh, some of the leaked read, some of the leaked lip reading um, go as it with go as they may. But um, you know, there's some B words being thrown out. Um, then there's some leaked audio from the locker room about how basically Kyle Anderson's openly yelling like y'all baby this dude too much, like. Pretty much, you got to come decisions to make this summer. Like, you got to figure out what you're going to do with him. Like, you baby him too much. Um, from from what the audio was saying, it's just like, man, uh, what's going on in Minnesota? 
And then Oklahoma City played the New Orleans Pelicans, my New Orleans Pelicans. I'm a Pelicans. I'm a LeBron guy, so I'm not all the way sad, but I'm a Pelicans fan. Um, man, uh, what did they say last night? December 30th, the Pelicans are first in the West. Thursday morning on uh, April 14th, April 13th, they're out of the playoffs, and they're effectively the 10th seed. It disaster. Zion Williamson missed the last 46 games of the season due to a hamstring injury. Um, and we'll talk about him in a couple of minutes. OKC had a hell of a game. Uh, Shea Gilders, Alexander, and Josh Giddy both went for 30. Giddy nearly goes for 30-point triple-double. He ends up falling one uh, assist shy. Uh, Shea actually had a pretty quiet first half, and then they kind of broke the, They got to broke him out of the shackles a little bit in the second half. Um... Lou Dort had a hell of a game. He kept them in in the first half because he was nailing jumpers from everywhere. I think he had like 20-some first-half points. Um, hell of a game for Oklahoma City. I actually do believe they uh, lose to Minnesota. Just too much size in Minnesota. No one on the team can guard Cat. That's where the Pelicans kind of messed up. They didn't take advantage of Jonas Valanciunas. He had no shot attempts in the fourth quarter. Um, he only had six shot attempts really in the last, really all game because the first minute and a half, he got three offensive rebounds and scored, uh, scored off them. So I think one of those, he got off of the flexion. So he might have had four shot attempts in the first like 90 seconds and then had like five shot attempts the rest of the game. Um, and so didn't take advantage of that. Lou Dorr was able to be very physical with Brandon Ingram. They did not call out, thought they should have. Um, TJ McCollum had a couple of bad moments. Like the Pelicans really collapsed in this game. Um, they didn't come out with the energy they should have. They battled back multiple times, but they honestly beat themselves in this situation. Um, and that's frustrating as a Pelicans fan. Um, and so especially when you got Zion Williamson, what went down with him? You think about it, he missed 46 games with injury. Jose Alvarado missed the last chunk of the season with an injury. Larry Nance Jr. didn't play last night due to an injury. Um, CJ McCullum has a shredded right thumb. It's just like, you know, it's just stuff as a Pelicans fan you just deal with. You know, Zion, well, we're talking about Zion now. Zion stated in a press conference that he physically feels fine. There's no injury there. Um, but he doesn't feel like, in his words, he doesn't feel like Zion. Um, he doesn't feel like himself. He doesn't feel like he's still hesitant with his body. He said the setback in February really messed him up mentally. Um, and so he's dealing with that right now. He's dealing with trying to overcome the mental stressors of effectively trusting his body, uh, one that has been injured a lot. Now, Zion's played more games than Joel Embiid through four years. Joel Embiid played 90-something games. Zion's at 112 or something of that nature. So he's played more games through four years than Joel Embiid. So as a Pelicans fan, there is hope um, because Embiid missed his first, his his first two full seasons and then just got to his first 60-game play season, I believe, this past season. Um, And so there is hope. If you are a Pelicans fan, to me, his target needs to be 65 games. I would, I mean, from this point on, no back-to-backs. Pick and choose Foster in the season the rest. So, like, if you're playing Detroit on a Tuesday night, Zion doesn't play that game. You know, if you're playing Orlando on a Thursday night, like, Zion doesn't play that game. You know, like, pick and choose his spots, preferably against bad teams. Um, and just pick and choose games. He's just not going to play in them. Um, similar with Brandon Ingram, I mean, Brandon Ingram can no back-to-backs, CJ McCullum probably the same, like, you have to start managing your bodies if you're in New Orleans, because something in that system is broken, whether it is ownership, whether it is management, 
whether it is the training staff or the people themselves, something in that system is broken. Too many great stars have come to the world and gotten injured. Um, you look at Anthony Davis' career was riddled with injuries. Um, Zion Williamson's career has been riddled with injuries. Our Brandon Ingram starting to get hurt. CJ McCollum's getting injured. So something about what's going on in New Orleans is not right um, because too many top players are getting hurt in the city. Um, but anyway, back to the playoffs. So Denver uh, plays either Minnesota or Oklahoma City. Like I said, I think Minnesota beats Oklahoma City. Just too much size. Um, and Chris Finch is going to take it. going to take advantage of that in a situation where really Willie Green did not. Um, and so I think that Minnesota beats Oklahoma City. And Minnesota turns around and loses to Denver in five, uh, four, one. The most intriguing series to me in the entire first round is the two seven matchup. It's the Memphis Grizzlies versus the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, the Lakers started off two and ten this year. They won their first playing game against Timberwolves, but the Lakers started off two and ten this year. They had a three percent chance, a point three percent chance of making the playoffs, and they sit in the NBA playoffs as the seventh seed, and they get the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, Dylan Brooks said that he wanted to play the Lakers, that he that there's history in putting out LeBron early, and that you know there's a lot of history there in playing LeBron in the playoffs. He wanted to put the Lakers out early. Um, LeBron was asked about the uh, Timberwolves, about what he thought about them. He gave a pretty detailed breakdown report um, of the Timberwolves and then laughed and said he hadn't thought about it at all. So this is going to be a very intriguing game. There's interesting matches on both sides. Uh, John Morant's better than D'Angelo Russell. I get that. But D'Angelo Russell is going to be able to put points back at John Morant. LeBron James has to be the best player on the floor. Uh, Anthony Davis has to be the third best player on the floor. I don't think he's better than Ja. But he has to be the third best player on the floor. He cannot let Jaron Jackson outplay him, even in the slightest. Um, this is going to be a dogfight of a series. It's very interesting to see with the speed and the um, athleticism that a John Morant wants to play with, Jaron Jackson wants to move with, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain wants to play with, how the Lakers, especially when LeBron James is starting to pick and choose the spots on the court to rest, how they are going to respond um, in this series. But vice versa, how is the young Grizzlies going to respond to Anthony Davis, LeBron James, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Austin Reeves has played in some big games for the Lakers, especially lately. He's getting MVP chance in the Crypto.com arena. Never thought I'd see that. Um, Wenyan Gabriel has some bigger game experience. So he's got some experience on the Lakers, of course, led by LeBron and Anthony Davis. Two people holding NBA championships, but you have um, experience on the Lakers, and I think experience will win out in this series. I think the Lakers will win in a hard-fought seven. I do mean a war of a seven-game series. Uh, the Lakers escaping, uh, winning Game Seven in Memphis. Um, so that'd be pretty, pretty huge for them to pull that off. But I think it gets done. The Sacramento Kings play in the playoffs for the first time in 16, 17 seasons. The Sacramento Kings face the Golden State Warriors. Um, the Warriors are the favorite team in this series, and I think that has to do everything with championship experience. Um, the best player on the floor is Steph Curry. The second best, the second and third best player on the floor, however, play for the Kings. And that's De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. Um, I think the coaching advantage, honestly, you might go to the Kings. I don't really give Steve Kerr a lot of credit for coaching. He's had one hell of five assistants. Two, he's had, he inherited four Hall of Famers, three Hall of Famers 
Um, and so, now Steve Kerr's a good coach. I think Mike Brown's been a much better coaching job at Sacramento. Um, but honestly, talent wins out. Experience will win out here. Now we got Golden State in six. And then Phoenix versus the Clippers. I have Phoenix in five, but it's going to be five freaking wars. Um, the Clippers are without Paul George. That's the only reason why this, why this isn't going six or seven. This is the Clippers are without Paul George. I just think, you know, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, uh, Chris Paul, DeAndre Aiden is going to just be too much. Um, now, the Clippers have a bunch of depth, which may end up tiring the Suns out. Um, so the longer the series goes, the more the Clippers have a shot. But I just think Phoenix is going to be too much offensively, too much of a juggernaut um, in order to overcome. And they gave Clippers on a hard-fought five. Um, and then the, a new star was born um, in the Bulls-Miami Heat game. Um, and that is D.R. DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan's, uh, oh man, is that nine-year-old daughter? Um, she let out a ear-piercing shriek during the Raptors' free throws. And the Raptors shot 50% from the free throw line. I mean, it is audible on the mics in the arena. It is an ear-piercing shriek that she is able to uncork from her little body. And the Raptors shot 50% from the free throw line. The Raptors had a 19-point lead at one point in the game. Ended up losing by four, and they missed 18 free throws. A lot of credit goes to D.R. DeRozan. I mean, just a ear-piercing shriek. Um, so she's officially in the Cool Kids Club in terms of NBA kids that are cool. We have Riley Curry, um, who, made, who made that moment. We have Riley Curry. We have Deuce Tatum. Um, and now we have D.R. DeRozan. Um, of course, Bronny and Bryce have made their impact. Uh, but now we have Dr. DeRozan. Uh, like I said, one. I mean, it's a it's a very clear. Like it's a situation where like Demar was even asked about him after the game. He said he didn't know where it was coming from until he realized it was his daughter. He was making sure she was okay because it is an ear piercing. It's a shriek, um, horror movie like style. Just it sounds like a fear shriek, um, and it was effective. Like I said, the uh, Toronto Raptors shot fifty percent. Um, and so what makes it even more of an advantage is that the home crowd goes quiet when the home team shooting a free throw. And so all of a sudden, right before you shoot the ball, this shriek starts like right next to you. I mean, she's probably in row two or three and you're shooting a free throw. So you're no more than 10 yards away from her. And then there's a shriek in a dead town arena. Um, and so she was really affecting to me. She was really affecting the Raptors shooters. Um, and they ended up going 50% from the free throw line and losing the game. So credit to Dr. DeRozan for um, doing her part to help her father's team win. But up next, we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down there. Welcome back into the show. That was a pretty long-winded NBA segment, so my sincerest apologies about that. But it is the play-in tournament. It is the NBA playoffs beginning. Um, of course, we'll check in. With, I'll check in with you guys next week. We'll be mid-round one. 
you may have already had some near sweeps. You may already be 3-0 in a couple of series. Um, and so, we'll definitely check in with you guys next week regarding the NBA playoffs. But we are shifting into the NFL and talk about what's going down there. Of uh, The biggest news out of the NFL over the past week, Odell Beckham has a home. And not only does he have a home, Odell Beckham has a home in Baltimore. Not only does he have a home in Baltimore, Odell Beckham has a contract worth $18 million a year. Now, granted, it's only for one year. But he got $15 million and $18 million guaranteed. $13.2 million of it's in signing bonus. Or $13.6 million of it's in signing bonus. And then the rest of it's his base salary. The other one point some odd million is his base salary. And then he gets $3 million um, in tangible incentives. So the entire $18 million counts against the Baltimore Ravens salary cap. Um, the reason being why the reason being is there's two categories of incentives in the NFL for salary cap purposes. There's reachable incentives and there's unreachable incentives. Reachable incentives is stuff that's reasonable. So Odell's incentives is 70 catches, a thousand yards, and I want to say 12 touchdowns. Um, I believe that is Odell Beckham's. Uh, um, I believe that is Odell Beckham's contract. Hold on, I'm looking at it now. Yes, it's 60 catches for $1 million, uh, 1,000 yards for $1 million, and 9 touchdowns for $1 million. But he also can get um, $1 million. He also can achieve the incentives for leading the team in any other categories. So let's say he ends up with a, lead, a team leading 55 catches, a team leading 900 yards, and a team leading eight touchdowns. He can still get his 18. He can still get his four 18 million dollars as long as he's leading the team in those categories. Now with Mark Andrews on the team, and if Lamar Jackson comes back, I doubt he leads in yards. I think he leads in touchdowns because Andrews is a touchdown machine. He may get yards and catches though. So reasonably, I can see Odell getting two to three incentives um, and making 17 million dollars this year. If he hits two to three incentives, he's going to go back to the market and to get his multi-year big money deal like he was seeking this past offseason. Um, but he's he's pretty much open about it. Lamar helped recruit him. So if Lamar Jackson is helping recruit for the Baltimore Ravens, I would assume Lamar Jackson is going to be a Raven. But Lamar also has his wants. Lamar also has his needs. Lamar definitely wants and needs his contract done now i think i do i truly think he's gonna end up either an indianapolis colt or a baltimore raven that being said if he's a colt it won't be till after the draft because the colts sit with the, with the fourth overall pick so to me it doesn't affect me because how i look at the Colts situation is with lamar if i'm gonna draft the quarterback at four if that's the plan the plan is to draft the best available quarterback at four Right. Let's just presto change that pick into Lamar Jackson. At that point, I'd only be trading one additional first round pick for Lamar Jackson. So in essence, I'm trading one first round pick for Lamar Jackson. Because I'm gonna draft the quarterback anyway, so that pick is dead. That pick's a quarterback. That fourth overall pick's a quarterback, so that pick is dead. In essence, I'm trading one first round pick for Lamar Jackson. What's the problem? To me, there's no issue. You do it today. You go to Lamar, y'all from the five years, $250 million, all of it fully guaranteed. When someone sees signs, they ain't more dotted line. 
add two void years to the back end to stretch the cap hits out so you can maneuver and finagle money a little bit. Or do like the Browns have the automatic signing bonus conversions in it. Um, or something to alleviate that cap pressure every year. But then you just simply trade the Ravens two first round picks. Like You just give it over. The two, the Ravens two first round picks. And you basically turn one first round pick into Lamar Jackson. Um, now, I get why they don't want to do it for the draft. Because if I can have the fourth overall pick, draft the best player on the board. Let's say it's Jalen Carter or whatever. Draft the best player on the board. Then turn around and have Lamar Jackson trade the 24 and 25 picks. Those picks would probably be in the low 20s because you have Lamar Jackson in a pretty weak division. You know, they would rather do that. Or trade the fourth overall pick down to pick up additional picks and capital to keep building the team around Lamar Jackson because when you get somebody a contract that heavy, you're going to need a way to alleviate cap pressure and still get talent on the team. Um, so to me, that's how he's a Colt. If he's a Raven, the Ravens give him the contract he's seeking, whatever that is. And he's a Baltimore Raven throwing a ball to Odell Beckham and Mark Andrews. Um, and so that is definitely what I see the situation with Lamar Jackson going. But again, huge kudos to um, Odell Beckham for landing $15 million guaranteed out of 18 in fragrancy. I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't think it was possible. But he pulled it off. Uh, the New York Giants have a little bit of money problems. Uh, they're dealing with two of their star players not reporting to camp. Uh, so they franchise tagged Saquon Barkley uh, with a non-exclusive franchise tag. I think everyone got the non-exclusive franchise tag this year who was tagged. Um, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, etc. Because unless it's a quarterback, it's not worth the two first-round picks. Um, and so you can save your team a little money by going non-exclusive franchise tag. Um, but... The Giants have a little bit of money problems. So, Saquon Bach is on the tag. Until he signs that tender, he's not a member of the Giants. So, he can choose to not participate in literally anything until he signs that tender. Um, and so, the Giants begin their offseason program uh, on Monday. Saquon Barkley will not be there as he has not signed his tender. Because he has not signed his tender, he is ineligible. Um, but also, the team cannot find him, cannot do anything to him uh, because he's not technically under contract. They also have Dexter Lawrence, who is on the contract. He's just in a uh, financial dispute with the team and a contractual dispute with the team. And so he is also now reporting uh, to camp on Monday um, as well due to the contract issue that he's having with the organization. And so Dexter Lawrence will also not be at training camp on Monday or off-season workouts on Monday as well for the New York Giants. So that's two stars. I mean, that's your that's your engine and on offense and your nose on <laughs> one of your defense tackles on defense, uh, which helped you win a lot of games while they were while they were training willing, uh, training wheels, uh, basing Daniel Jones' offense off of that. So absolutely huge. Uh, for the Giants, two of their stars will not be at off-season workouts. Uh, speaking of stars, Devin White, um, the young superstar linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, has requested a trade from the organization, presumably of his contract as well. Um, he's entering his fifth-year option, and he has not had a new contract from the organization. That spells a poor relationship. So now Devin White has requested a trade from the organization um, and a team that has lost some talent. Scotty Miller's gone, Leonard Fournette's gone, obviously Tom Brady retired. Uh, so they've lost some talent this offseason. 
And now their piece in the middle, besides Levante David, is now wanting out um, in Devin White. So we're going to see what happens with that situation. Um, but I'm sure that Devin White looked at Roquan Smith and said, I want that contract. Um, and so with Tampa presumably uh, unwilling to go and meet that contract or go a little bit above it for uh, Devin White, he's now looking to move on to find, find an organization that's willing to pay it. Um, as of now, Tampa has not granted the request. As of now, Tampa does not want to move him. Now, if he begins to make things uncomfortable or refuses to participate, gets loud about it, uh, they may move on from him or be more willing to allow him to seek a trade partner um, and move on from him at that point. But at the moment, Tampa Bay seems very unwilling to move on from Devin White. And why would they? Um, again, unless he makes things uncomfortable or gets loud about it. And then lastly, uh, Jeff Okuda former number three overall pick by the Detroit Lions has been traded from the Lions to the Atlanta Falcons for a fifth round draft pick in this year's draft. Atlanta continues to have a hell of an offseason, um, very sneaky offseason. They hadn't swung big, big or anything besides Jesse Bates, um, but they have had a pretty sneakily good offseason, and they continue to do so by adding Jeff Okuda, who if you can get, it, if you can get him right, he'll be the number two corner behind A.J. Terrell. Um, so if you can get him right, has shown the physical capabilities to be a shutdown corner, and now he just has to get to um, getting everything right with him outside of his physicals, and he, he may be one hell of a cornerback duo with A.J. Terrell. But up next, we are shifting to the WNBA and talking about what's going down with the W. to discuss uh, the WNBA and what's happening there. So, obviously, they had their draft uh, headlined by Aaliyah Boston going number one in South Carolina, which was not shocking at all. She went number one to the Indiana Fever, uh, followed by Diamond Miller of Maryland going to the Minnesota Lynx, uh, Maddie Sagrist of Villanova going to the Dallas Wings at number four, Stephanie Soares of Iowa State going to the Washington Mystics uh, at number four. Sorry, Maddie Segris uh, went number three. Lou lopez Shaneco, I'm sorry for the pronunciation, uh, from UConn goes number five. Haley Jones of Stanford goes number six to the Atlanta Dream. Indiana Fever back on the clock draft Grace Berger of Indiana at number seven. Leticia Amahir of South Carolina goes to the Atlanta Dream at number eight. Jordan Horston of Tennessee, who really flew her draft stock up this year, goes number nine to the Seattle Storm. Uh, Zaya Cook of South Carolina goes to number 10 to their Los Angeles Sparks. Abby Myers of Maryland goes number 11 to the Dallas Wings. And to round out the first round, uh, Mia Hirsch of France goes number 12 to the Minnesota Lynx. Um, so the first round was pretty expected. I'm an LSU fan, so I was looking for the LSU Tigers. Uh, they end up getting two drafted and uh, Ladeja Williams at pick 17. I believe she's an Indiana Fever. Um, and um, Lex Luther, Alexis Morris, goes 22. 
Uh, and I forgot what team she went to. My apologies to Alexis Morris. But she goes number 22. Um, like I said, the draft went pretty much as expected early. Um, and so it was, you know, it gets to a point where it starts to get kind of crazy in the second round. You start seeing prospects, you know, we're not well-versed. I wasn't well-versed in the international prospects. Um, so when they started coming up, that was names kind of threw me for a loop. But all in all, like I said, the draft went um, pretty much as expected. Congratulations to the 36 young ladies drafted, but training camps in like two or three weeks. Um, so they really got to hit the ground running. If you're South Carolina, you stopped playing two weeks ago, and you're going to be in WNBA training camp in three weeks. So you're going to be losing the college Final Four, to WNBA training camp within two months of each other, um, so it's a quick turnaround uh, for the young for the for these women. Uh, but now they're professional athletes. They're professional WNBA athletes. I'm sure they'll have agents and stuff looking at their overseas possibilities. Of course, trying to do their endorsement deals. Um, so congratulations to the 36 women that were drafted and the others that will be invited to different WNBA camps. Um, that brings us to a conversation before I dive off into um, some positive of the WNBA. Uh, that brings us into a conversation of NIL. So recently, Angel Reese and Flaje Johnson mainly have been doing media tours. They're the two biggest stars on LSU's team. Angel Reese is the star, headliner, front runner, top gunner. Um, she's done I Am Athlete. She's done Pivot. She's done different social medias. You know, she's she's the top gunner. She's been at Raising Canes with the LSU girls team. She's She had her own autograph session at Dick Sporting Goods, part of her NIL collective, part of her NIL groups. Um, you know what I'm saying? Hey, run a top gunner. She's doing a lot of the media stuff. She's well over a million Instagram followers now. Um, you know, she's, she's, she's over it. You know, Pelage Johnson, who had a fame and a star, she came into LSU a signed Rock Nation rapper. America's Got Talent winner. Then she, then she, then I think she turned around and won America's Got Talent All Stars. Um, you know, she her story is incredible. Now she's well over a million Instagram followers. So her her NIL valuation is top seven in women's basketball. Andrees is the number one valuated women's basketball player. Um, Andrees' valuation is clear over a million dollars. Flaza Johnson's in the multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, as far as their evaluations. They're the richest athletes on campus. I mean, barring something shocking, they're the richest athletes on LSU's campus. Um, They're some of the richest athletes in college sports. Caleb Williams is up there with them. I mean, you know, they're in the top 20 for sure. Um, They're some of the richest people in the city of Baton Rouge. Angel Reese's annual income from NIL, from what I've been reading online, her valuation is $1.3 million. But I think her actual contracts, as of right now, as last I seen, from numbers I could get it pretty well confirmed as I could online, is about four hundred grand a year. Aaliyah Boston, as the number one overall pick, along with the second, third, and fourth overall picks, they're all in the same CBA negotiated range, they're going to make about $71,000 a year one. Angels making 400 as a college player. Leah Boston as the number one overall pick from her salary from the WNBA is going to make 70. Now, $70,000 in four months is nothing to sneeze at. 70 grand in Indiana by herself will get, if she gets no other endorsement money, will get her a nice home 
You know what I'm saying? She's she's there for four months. Then she can go overseas or whatever. She can have a nice home. She can live an average life. The problem is she's not going to be in WNBA forever, right? Diana Taurasi's super max contract is 200-something grand a year. Angel Reese is making 400 grand a year at LSU. Um, and her and Flaw J. Johnson have been open about it. You know, Angel's like, she, she said, oh, I am athlete. I'm in no hurry to get to the NBA. I'm in no rush. Because in the, in the, in the male side, you want to play that one year and go get that NBA money. Because unless you're, somebody, if you're a top player, if you're number one pick, you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to make money and you make an NIL. You're trying to get to the NBA. Um, Angel said it on I Am Athlete. You know, Brandon Marshall's trying to like, she's like, like, how much you make? How much you making? Angel said it. I'm in no rush. And then when she goes on Pivot with Flaje Johnson uh, sitting next to her for her LSU teammate, and of course Pivot has Shanning and Ryan and um, Fred, you know, Shanning come with the numbers. Like, she's making several hundred grand. Her and her valuation's over a million. The WNBA is making 70 grand. Flaje Johnson so goes, I'm trying to, I'm trying to feel, I could be, I could be I'm trying to, I'm looking at grad school. Angel's like, I'm trying to play six years, you know, like, because they know their real money is going to come in NIL money. The WNBA has a problem. They have an issue. Your top stars should be looking to get to the professional ranks. That's just, that's just how it is. Like, the, the NBA, you're trying to get male basketball players, you're trying to get to the NBA. College football players, you're trying to get to the NFL. Baseball players, you're trying to get to Major League Baseball. Like, these top male stars are trying to get to the pros because the big money's in the pros. Softball, gymnastics, basketball, these women athletics, their main money's gonna come in college. Where they're gonna make their hundreds of they're gonna make their hundreds of thousands of dollars is in college. The Cavender twins, who really aren't thinking of basketball, may or may probably won't even have gotten drafted. They've left basketball to pursue off the court activities because they're making so much money off the court, and none of it's really linked to them being University of Miami basketball players. Now, reportedly their NIL deals were stemmed to that, obviously, but they're making so much money from TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that that. They just—they're just done with athletics. They're going to pursue other dreams. If you think years ago, for those of you who remember, um, Dylan and Dakota Gonzalez—they were UNLV in Kansas. They were Kansas. They ended up at UNLV. They left uh, women's basketball to pursue act- things outside of basketball because at that point NIL wasn't a thing. If NIL was still a thing, they might have still been playing at UNLV. Who, who knows? They would have went pro or not, but. The Gonzalez twins left basketball because they both were making so much money or had the potential to make so much money from YouTube as an artist, from Instagram, and, you know, man, we didn't have TikTok at the time, but from Instagram, social media, and YouTube as an artist, they left college basketball. Um, there was a kicker at UCF. Um, he left um, because he was making a lot of money off his YouTube. He left. The, uh, the NCAA wouldn't let him continue to have his YouTube monetized, even though he said, like, this has nothing to do with UCF. This has nothing to do with me kicking. It's literally just me. Um, and he was making so much money off his YouTube, he left college sports. And so they've, you know, now that's perfectly fine. Now they want you to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you see Flossie Johnson posting pictures with DJ Khaled in her LSU uniform. 
Now, I don't know if she can do that, but that's off the court, and that's not NIL money. So that's interesting in terms of that rule itself. Um, but, you know, they want you to have these big personalities and these big things now in college sports. The WNBA has a problem. Now, it's simply a revenue issue. I think they're missing Ivan Tannis for years. The WNBA is missing an opportunity with the fact that now, look at an Angel Reese. When she's on the court, she has eyelashes. She, I believe she's wearing some form of makeup. And she has hair extensions. Who who are those brands? You look at Taya Cooper when she was in the league. She had the lashes and the makeup and the hair extensions. And they were not messed up after the game. Who are these people? Who are these brands? Skylar Diggins would have made so much money on the ninja that WNBA wears headbands. I mean the NBA wore the, the, the tie headbands. Skylar Diggins was rocking that first, at least mainstream first at Notre Dame. Like the amount of NIL money she would have got if they would have been, if somehow like a four logo would have got put on them or something, like, you know, she NILs it with Nike. Like she was the first one to wear that tie headband mainstream. And social media went crazy. She wore the hair and the makeup and the last, like, who are these brands? There's opportunities, there's natural opportunities for these women to market themselves in WNBA for the league to partner with these companies to market like the official whatever like I, I get they don't want to be patronizing the official hair extension brand or whatever but they can I don't know I don't know what the language they can use but they can di- use different language same thing the official makeup brand of the WNBA like it's still the women's basketball ultimately women work out women play basketball women are are athletes they're mobile they work outside jobs whatever if if these women can play 40 minute WNBA game and not sweat out whatever they have on their bodies, then this woman as an enterprise worker, working on she working outside, knowing she can put on this makeup and she's good all day. You know, this woman who joins to the gym, who wants to put on a little makeup and go to the gym or whatever, or her lashes or her extensions, whatever, knows that the WNBA can make it, I can make it. You know what I'm saying? So I think there's natural, there are tights and stuff. Like I'm sure they're wearing basketball tights, but why don't we know this? Like. I think there's a natural brand coagulation that the WNBA is missing right now, especially, but I think it's going to help with with ladies like Angel Reese coming in, Flaudie Johnson in a couple years, Kaylin Clark, Paige Beckers, these big college NIL followings, they have a lot of brand deals. They have Dick's, they have McDonald's, they have whatever, they have these big brand Gatorade, these big brand deals that they're going to carry these deals into the WNBA, and so maybe the revenue comes in that way. But until the revenue gets up, um, and you're always going to see your rookie contracts get kind of jobbed because the vets know that the rookies are going to be coming for their salaries and their spots. So they want to kind of mess over the rookies a little bit. Um, and so because they're not interested in helping people that had not even in the league yet, they're about getting their own. Um, and so until that revenue comes up, uh, Kelsey Plum stated that she wants the same share of the revenue that the guys get. The 50%, I think the WNBA is getting 45%. So she's wants the 50% that the guys, 50 to 51% depending on revenue uh, standards, what the guys are getting. Um, you know, same benefits, same pluses. Um, and speaking of those benefits, uh, the WNBA has expanded the charter flight program um, to include uh, all playoff games and back-to-back games. So the WNBA at first was kind of pissy about chartered flights. I remember Josiah, um was on an investigation for the New York Liberty for flying his team, team on chartered flights. And the Las Vegas Aces were under investigation as well for chartered flights. But the WNBA has officially expanded 
of the Houston Charlotte flights to include back-to-back regular season games um, and all playoff games. In an effort to enhance the player-first experience, per WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert, um, she's been very open about it. Uh, she's been very open about it in terms of she's trying to expand the league and grow the league, but she's trying to do it at a sustainable rate and via scale because what we don't want to do is pop an eight-team expansion in. Uh, like, for instance, Baton Rouge, New Orleans area is on fire with LSU basketball. Put the WNBA in the, put the, put the WNBA in the River Center. I'm sure you can reform it to get a six, 7,000-seat arena. We're not looking for a 15, 16,000-seat arena. You know, um, I wouldn't say play them in New Orleans, but play it in the River Center. Get 10,000 seats in the River Center um, and play in the River Center in Baton Rouge, which is, the River Center is all of seven to ten minutes from LSU's campus, like that fire of the WNBA. Because there's several teams in WNBA that don't have an NBA team. The Las Vegas Aces, the Connecticut, the Connecticut Sun, the Seattle Storm don't have an NBA team in the city. Um, and they do very well in attendance, all three of them. Um, and so, Baton Rouge, Miami. Well, Miami struggles to support the Heat. <laughs> they don't really support the Heat very well. But, like, you know, like you don't want to just pop expansion all of a sudden. And then, you know, you go to 20 teams overnight and then six of them fold. You know, and that's, just, and that's just bad on the league. So she's trying to grow it at a certain level. But these new young owners have the money and they're willing to pay the money out and show the money out to make sure that these teams have an opportunity to flourish. Um, and so that is something that I think the WNBA is definitely going to have to look at. Um, but she um, approved um, chartered flights in the playoffs uh, in 2019, where teams had to cross multiple time zones with just a day between, and then they also, then that same year, um, approved it for the whole WNBA Finals and the visiting team for the Commissioner Cup. Um, and so the WNBA has been trying to, the players have been trying to get charter flights for a while now, and so now it's looking like that is finally on the horizon. Uh, for the least top female basketball, for the world's top females basketball players. But up next, we're going to shift to best for last, which is going to be a rundown of the first edition of the Justin Time Sports Mock Draft. Welcome back into the show. One of our longer shows. Um, thank you guys for rocking on me this far. For my NFL fans, it's my first mock draft. The draft is coming up soon. And so I'm going to give you my first mock draft of my first round. Um, it's, you know, I use PFF Mock Draft Simulator. It's the best way to do it in terms of you know, it's just the easiest interface I've used to work the mock, to do a mock draft is the PFF uh, Pro Football Focus interface. It allows you to pick all the teams and etc. But I am going to start off, uh, of course, I'm going to run through the names. So I'm not going to give a real detailed breakdown of my last mock draft, which I'll put out probably the morning before the actual first round. 
um, will be the detailed breakdown mock draft show. But this one is probably it's just going to be the rundown for the run through. Again, appreciate you guys for rocking out with me this far. We'll also post this one online uh, for you guys to see it. So when the show comes out, um, you guys will be able to see it as well. I'll post them back to back. So I'll post the show and I'll post them my draft along with it. But we're going to just okay, run through the names. Um, there's going to be maybe some shockers here. Get listen out for your teams, of course. Back it up a little bit. If, you, if, you, if I run through your team a little bit too quickly, my apologies. Also, the pronunciations on these names will not be perfect. I am not an English major, so the pronunciation of these names will not be perfect. Um, but let's do this. So, Carolina Panthers, number one overall pick, C.J. Stroud, quarterback, Ohio State. Number two, Houston Texans, quarterback, Bryce Young out of Alabama. Number three, Arizona Cardinals, Edge, Alabama, Will Anderson Jr. Number four, uh, Indianapolis Colts, tackle out of Northwestern, Peter Skorinski. Number five, Seattle Seahawks, defensive lineman, uh, Jalen Carter out of Georgia. Number six, Detroit Lions. Uh, number, uh, sorry, number six, Detroit Lions, Quinn Johnson, wide receiver, TCU. Number seven, Las Vegas Raiders, Will Levis, quarterback, Kentucky. Number eight, Atlanta Falcons, Anthony Richardson, quarterback, Florida. Number nine, Chicago Bears, Christian Gonzalez, cornerback, Oregon. Number 10, Philadelphia Eagles, Brian Branch, safety, Alabama. Number 11, Tennessee Titans, Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver, Ohio State. Number 12, Houston Texans, Lucas Van Ness, Edge out of Iowa. Number 13, New York Jets, Paris Johnson Jr., offensive tackle, Ohio State. Number 14, my New England Patriots, Joey Porter Jr., cornerback out of Penn State. Number 15, Green Bay Packers, Tyree Wilson, Edge out of Texas Tech. Number 16, Washington Commanders, Devin Witherspoon, cornerback out of Illinois. Number 17, Darnell White, uh, offensive tackle. Uh, number 17, Pittsburgh Steelers, Darnell Wright, offensive tackle, Tennessee. Number 18, Detroit Lions, Kajai Kansi, defensive lineman, Pittsburgh. Number 19, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Brian Breezy, defensive lineman, Clemson. Number 20, the Seattle Seahawks, Anton Harrison, offensive tackle, Oklahoma. Number 21, Los Angeles Chargers, Deontay Banks, cornerback, Maryland. Number 22, Baltimore Ravens, Nolan Smith, edge out of Georgia. Number 23, Minnesota Vikings, Jordan Addison, wide receiver, USC. Number 24, Jacksonville Jaguars, Miles Murphy, edge out of Clemson. Number 25, New York Giants, Zay Flowers, wide receiver, Boston College. Number 26, Dallas Cowboys, Bijan Robinson, tailback out of Texas. Number 27, Buffalo Bills, Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback out of Mississippi State. Number 28, Cincinnati Bengals, Dalton Kincaid, tight end out of Utah. Number 29, New Orleans Saints, Osiris Torrance, offensive guard out of Florida. Number 30, Philadelphia Eagles, Josh Downs, wide receiver, North Carolina. And Ronnie got the first round for the Kansas City Chiefs. Maisie Smith, defensive lineman out of Michigan. 
So that is my first round mock draft. Um, again, I will post this along with the episode. Um, of course, this comes out at noon on Thursday Central Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursday uh, for my East Coast people. Um, but I will post this along with uh, the episode or same time. So I'll tweet about the episode, Instagram about the episode, Facebook, it, and then I'll do the exact same cycle again um, for the um, for the mock draft. But thank you guys for rocking with me through this process. Like I said, it was one of our longest shows. We crossed over an hour. Um, so I appreciate you guys rocking me through the entire process. Um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your Thursday and a, and a great weekend. Uh, this is your host and owner, Justin Jackson. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, share, uh, and follow the Justin Town Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to like, uh, to follow and turn on your post notifications for Justin Town Sports social media handle at JTime Sports. Uh, we're blue checked on Twitter. Um, we're working on it on Instagram and Facebook to get verified and everything, but we're blue checked on Twitter. Um, so don't forget to follow uh, there. Now, I hope you guys, again, like I said, have a great rest of your Thursday, an amazing weekend. Um, I thank you guys for rocking out with me on Thursday. Like I said, this was a pretty interesting recording, kind of raw emotions for my Pelicans losing. Um, so you guys have a great weekend. Uh, this is your owner and host, Justin Jackson, signing out.